Hebrews 12, and by now we kind of know that Hebrews is toward the end of our Bible, uh, one of the last six or seven books in the Bible, so we're going to read from Hebrews 12, starting at verse 14. It will also be on the screen. Warning against refusing God. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of the righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, creative things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time to worship you, to praise you, to hear the profession of faith of Lance and McKenna, to, to sing praises, to talk to you, and to hear your word. Lord, this is a time we dedicate to you, and we pray that this time of worship will shape us and form us more and more into who you're calling us to be. I pray that the words which will be spoken now, Lord, may they be your words and not mine. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. 
there are a lot of images in this few verses that we read and that whole idea of shaking and everything else, I'd like you to do some research on that uh, on your own. Uh, there's just so much in here. This morning we're going to focus more on worship and on holiness. How many of you have read the books of C.S. Lewis and Narnia? I see most of, of you. If you haven't, or even if you had, I encourage you to read them again. Uh, they're not just children's books by any means. And I wonder, as I read the read Narnia the last time, if C.S. Lewis had this image of Hebrews 12 in mind when he told the story of, of how when Mr. and Mrs. Beaver told the children about Aslan the lion. I love how Lucy responds. I think I should be quite frightened to meet a lion. Tell me, is he a safe lion? Safe, Mr. Beaver answers. Of course he's not safe, but he's good. You see, those who meet Aslan or hear his earth-shaking roar, when you see them, see that in the, in the books, you see them filled either with awe or with fear. Because they know that Aslan has the power to hurt them really badly. Yet when Lucy and those on the side of good, when they look into Aslan's eyes, they see a kindness and a tenderness that's fiercely determined to show them love. And that reminds me of God. Reminds me of this chapter. This chapter emphasizes that God is holy. He's pure. He's right. He's just. He's so against sin and evil that nothing stained by sin is allowed to come close to him. And we know, if we're honest with ourselves, that, that we have no real hope of ever being able to come close to God the way we are. In Leviticus, God calls us to be holy because he's holy. Nothing that is less than holy can see God, is what we're warned here. He offers a few examples of what unholiness looks like. Bitterness, sexual immorality, being godless and focused only on what they want right now. That's that whole Esau. The writer to Hebrews is connected to the temple and holiness is a, a huge part of his day-to-day -day life and work. It reminds us that holiness is important to everyone who follows Jesus. Lance and McKenna, this is, a, this is an important day in your faith journey. Your journey with Jesus as you've decided you want to follow him. To walk on his way. And part of following Jesus is becoming holy. So what, what is being holy then? Well, it's about being set apart as God's people. And as our culture keeps changing and, and drifting more and more away from God... 
being part of God's people will mean being set apart more and more from our culture. You've experienced some of it, each of you, already. See, we, we need to be reminded that we're created in the image of God. And really, holiness is about being in God's image. The writer of the letter takes us back to Israel at Mount Sinai after they left Egypt. In the, in the Bible, mountains often were considered significant sacred places where the people would go and meet God. And Sinai becomes, in many ways, the center of who Israel becomes. God covers the mountain with a dark cloud, and his voice rolls out from the cloud like thunder. And within the cloud flashes lightning, and the sound of thunder warns the people to stand back. God tells Moses, Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when a ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they go up to the mountain. Why do you think God appears to Israel this way at Mount Sinai? Any thoughts, any guesses? He's holy. But why emphasize that to the people? Okay? They're sinful. God does tell Moses to take off his sandals at the burning bush, reminding Moses that he's holy. But Israel's coming out of Egypt. For 400 years, they've been exposed to the Egyptian gods. And as you read scripture, there's this silence in between Joseph and Moses. So they know of God, but they don't know God well. They know the Egyptian gods way better. So they know the Egyptian gods as gods that can be manipulated, as really, in many ways, are flawed humans with superpowers. They're people that can be, they're gods that can be manipulated, that can be twisted to serve their purposes. And even Pharaoh was God. There is no holiness in the Egyptian or the Greek and Roman pantheons later on. There's just fear, but there's also manipulation. God is revealing who he is, beginning to reveal more and more who he is. And he starts with, I'm holy. I am different from you. I am separate from you. There's all these echoes back to creation, where there was chaos, where there was darkness. And then God gets to work. So the people are told to make themselves ready 
to be in God's presence. It's no casual thing to be in the presence of a holy God. Israel has just seen God destroy the Egyptian after opening a path through the Red Sea. This is a God of power and majesty on the top of Mount Sinai. And even Moses is affected by the power and majesty of God. I'm trembling with fear, he says, as he prepares to go up the mountain to meet with God. Moses knows that this is a living God who's decided he's going to build a relationship with this group of people. And Moses realized that he's nowhere worthy enough to be in the presence of God. But he trusts in God's mercy and grace and heads up the mountain to talk to God. After, with all of Israel, first preparing himself. And on the mountain, God gives them the law to show them who he is and who he's calling his people to be. Whenever you read the Ten Commandments, don't think so much in terms of what do I got to do. Think in terms of what does these ten words or ten commandments, what kind of a God do these commandments show us? And mountains. Mountains draw people's eyes up upwards and as our eyes are drawn upwards they look beyond the top of the mountain and the universe itself is displayed before us it begins to dawn on us what it means that God is creator of everything we see and much more beyond that it's kind of neat this morning talking to one of the little girls in our congregation and how they've been camping and they're in the mountains We're called to look at God through eyes that recognize that God is a royal, powerful, awe-inspiring God. We talked about the one about wonder being part of our faith journey and part of our profession of faith classes. It's amazing how you see your two different personalities come out because depending on the topic, you guys shined and kind of rose up in the conversations really differently. And McKenna, that class on wonder. I could see it shining in your eyes, which is really, really cool. Here at Sinai is a call to worship a God of holiness and majesty. He's no ordinary God. This is creator of heaven and earth, the defeater of powerful empires and their gods. Mount Sinai is a time of change and transformation for the people. The people hear God's voice and are given laws that will shape how they live with God and with each other and with the nations around them so that the nations can see who God is through his people. Brian Whitfield writes about worshiping God with reverence and awe as an encounter with God in which God's people hear God's voice and are by the Holy Spirit transformed God, after all, accepts us as we are. But God never leaves us as we are. If there are those of you this morning who feel you're not worthy, or if you're seeking God and Jesus, but you're not sure if God would ever consider you because of your past, or because of maybe even what's within you right now, God accepts you as you are, but he will not leave you 
as you are. He wants you to grow. He wants you to change and be transformed, to be more and more in his image. Profession of faith recognizes that this is simply another step in following Jesus, another step in becoming who God is calling us to be. Following Jesus as we listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit is a lifelong journey. A journey we call sanctification, a church word. But that just means we're on a journey becoming more and more like Jesus. And we walk this journey together as a church family. This is why profession of faith is done here with everyone around you. Because we walk this journey together as a church family, as part of the family of God. Now Mount Sinai is often associated with fear and trembling. But the writer to the Hebrews doesn't want to leave us trembling in fear. He takes us from Sinai to to Zion. We move from a, a barren, frightening mountaintop in the wilderness to a city on a hill. Uh, the heavenly Jerusalem, the place of the living God where the people of God gather. John gives us an amazing picture of the heavenly Jerusalem in Revelation 21. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. A theme that just runs through the whole of scripture. But now instead of God being at the top of the mountaintop, he now joins us and we see that in Jesus Christ. But there's two other mountains where we meet God. We meet God in Jesus There's a Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is revealed in his holiness as a son of God in whom God the Father is pleased. And the three disciples are just awestruck and they want to keep Jesus separate. But Jesus says, no, his place is with everyone down at the bottom. And then there's Golgotha where Jesus takes away our sin by becoming our sin and going to the cross. As Jesus comes before the God of Sinai and the law, Jesus takes our place, enters that place of judgment in our place. And Jesus is the only one who can keep the law of Sinai. His sacrifice for us allows us to approach the God of Sion now. We're called to come into that presence of God, to come close as a child draws close to the parent. And yet God's a consuming fire. But it's a consuming fire that doesn't destroy. It's a consuming fire that comes to purify us, to make us clean so that we won't be destroyed as we come close. God's consuming fire brings out the image of God in us by burning away the sinful parts of us. See, using the image of a, of a silversmith or a goldsmith who, who puts the, the ore and, and, and all it into a big pot and then, and then creates this intense heat underneath and, and the gold and the silver separate itself by melting and, and gathering at the, at the, in the pot and, and then the silversmith or the goldsmith is able to scoop out, to take up the 
the pure silver or gold, leaving the dross, the unuseful part, the messy part behind. You see, God's worthy of our praise. And God wants us close. And so he purifies us with his consuming fire. And that's why we approach him with reverence and with healthy, awe-inspired fear because of his law and commitment to us. On Mount Zion, there's an awesome awareness of the power of God as thousands of angels worship the Father. He's a great judge, but our presence there is guaranteed because of Jesus, the mediator of that new covenant. And for those of you who are guests this morning, these are all stuff we've been talking about the last few weeks. Um, You can check out Right Now Media. They've got a whole lot of teaching, but you can also check out on YouTube our services beforehand if you want to know more about all these images that we've been talking about. See, Revelation... Four gives us a picture of the throne room of heaven, an image that echoes Sinai and the theme of worship that flows through the Old Testament and this letter. From the throne come flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. It takes us right back to Sinai. In front of the throne, seven lamps are blazing, the whole temple imagery that's filled in, that, that, that Hebrews is filled with. These are the seven spirits of God, In the center around the throne were four living creatures. We had talked about about seraphim and about angels and the differences. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back, day and night. They never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. An unchanging God, a God who once he says, You are mine, never gives up on us. Worship is at the heart of Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, shaped by the mountains of transfiguration and Golgotha. And it changes us. It changes us so that our daily life becomes a time of worship to our awesome, awe-inspiring God who has chosen us The message translation of Romans 12, 1 and 2 gives us a picture of what that can look like. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your eating, sleeping, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Really recognize that he, what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Ah, there is so much more in these verses we read I wish we could dig into. But I encourage you to dig into them yourselves. Read the account in in Exodus of Israel at Mount Sinai. 
take a glance through Leviticus, all these laws that God gives his people so that they can be shaped more and more into holy people, people set apart for him. I'd like to close with what Danny Quanstrom writes. God's consuming fire burns up our old selves in order to reveal our new selves as children of God. As we begin to forgive and to take responsibility for the wrongs we may have committed against others. See, worship is about being shaped and formed. But it's also about taking responsibility for who we are. And coming to God in humility and in love and in trust and in faith. And saying, God, please change me. Transform me. Make me more and more into your image. So ask yourself this morning, what is God burning away in you so that your life can truly be a life of worship for Jesus and the kingdom of heaven and a witness to the world around us? Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for these glimpses of mountains that take us back to to Genesis that take us closer and remind us of of all the times you came to meet your people of all those places where you revealed yourself and and where you taught us and you guided us but where you also took care of our sin and you washed us clean these are places where you called us to be yours where you promised to be our God so Lord we pray that that we may take all of this inside of ourselves and allow your spirit to work deep, in, deep inside of us, to transform us, to burn away all the parts that are not pleasing to you so that we can be that glorious witness to you in the world today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.